In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is the first in the regular fortnightly cycle of releases that we'll be going with from now on. Thank you to everyone who reached out and expressed excitement or encouragement based on the first three episodes. Uh, That's really encouraged me to go and record some more episodes on what I was planning to do. So thank you for reaching out and sharing that with me. Today's interview is with Al Fuller. Al has been a registered music therapist for over 25 years, focusing on children and family-centered practice with children on the autism spectrum, children experiencing hearing loss, families from diverse cultural backgrounds, and families with complex needs. She is a neurologic music therapist with advanced training in this approach and a fellow of the Academy of Neurologic Music Therapy. Her present roles are as lecturer, teaching into the Masters of Creative Music Therapy at Western Sydney University, and Director of Music Connect, a music therapy service provider for families with complex needs. Al is a current PhD candidate at Western Sydney University, where she is completing her doctorate in the use of visual supports within music therapy practice across face-to-face and telehealth platforms. In addition, Al is the invited guest editor for the upcoming special edition of the Australian Journal for Music Therapy titled, This is Australia, Music Therapy Down Under During and Beyond COVID-19. Al Fuller, thanks so much for being on Baselines. Um, If you could start us off by just explaining what a normal week looks like in your life. I know that you wear a few different hats, so can you just tell us what sort of stuff you're involved in at the moment? Sure, yes. So um, what I'm up to right at this present time is a lot to do with uh, teaching at the uh, at the university into the Masters of Creative Music Therapy course, so where we've got um, almost 50 students at the moment. And uh, I've been working there uh, full-time, coordinating all of the units for the last uh, little period of time. And um, that's keeping me really busy. However, I still managed to squeeze in some uh, some music therapy practice and music therapy work. And just this morning, I've had um, an online program, an online session that I've been involved with, with uh, families with complex needs, parent-child dyads. And we had nine, nine families involved. Um, so, yeah, so I do that um, and teaching and everything involved with teaching. And on top of that, I'm also um, trying to finish off my PhD thesis. So each morning I get up early, get a coffee and try and do a couple of hours writing my um, my thesis narrative um, before I open Microsoft Outlook. So <laughs> that's kind of my um, that's kind of my week at the moment. That's a huge amount of work. That's uh, very impressive that it can sustain so many things and so many things that require so much attention as well. I'd love to talk about your role in particular as a as a lecturer and, and your involvement with the university. Um, I think that there's quite a sort of shift from my limited vantage point 
in the profession in in Sydney and you've been right at the center of that um can you reflect on what that's been like yeah look it's it's very humbling actually to hear you say you know that I that I've played a role in that um you know that I've been a part of that and I guess um you know it uh, it makes me very pleased to to hear you say that and um you know, it's been well, just very humbling, I guess, to be a part of the whole thing. Because um, in 2016, when um, I got the call from Dr. Alison Short uh, to come and teach at at the university, um, you know, I it was it was kind of it was a big leap. It was a big step for me, and um, I turned up day one. And, um, yeah, I had this, had this group of first year students and Joe, you were there. You were one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) You were one of those people in that room when I was learning to teach, um, in 2016. But right from the get go, you know, my mandate was to come and talk about my work and talk about music therapy practice, tell my stories. And so I didn't make any apologies for that, you know, and, I'm still telling stories to the students and, and trying to, you know, the theory and the research that we look at and trying to put it in context. Um, and I think one of the things I caught very early on too, um, ah, there's lots of things, but I think one of the things would be too that, you know, I'm not going to be the expert in the room uh, on every topic at all times. And there's no way I could possibly learn enough to, to be in that situation. So so one of the very early things I needed to think about was the fact that I couldn't be the expert in the room, in the classroom, uh, you know, at all times on every given topic, given the really diverse, amazing group of people that, you know, had come together to learn how to become music therapists. So I put my focus on uh education and adult education and and how are we going to you know how are we going to do this together how are we going to learn together how am I going to guide students um, towards the path of becoming career ready and so you know that um, that goal it's one of the university's strategic um, you know statements is about preparing students to be career ready so um, you know I've just always kept that at the forefront of my mind yeah it's it strikes me Something that's sort of been coming out as part of these interviews is how music therapy is such a such a broad discipline, and so it's it must yeah it would be incredibly challenging from a lecturer point of view. There's not just a set curriculum that you can read through, but you're actually trying to equip people to to walk their own journeys, I suppose. Mm-mm. And for them to be able to find the evidence they need uh, once they're out there in the field. So you know we talk about just-in-time learning, just-in-case learning. So we're doing a lot of just-in-case learning at university. Uh, And then once they're in the field, uh, in the profession, it's a just-in-time learning. It's like, okay, so I've found myself in this position with this particular population group. Uh, What do I need to know and and how how am I going to find that out? And then there's all these different... um insights that are being gained in the field by the new graduates or few years in graduates and then I suppose the challenge for the industry is in general is to sort of try and feed all that learning back in so that um, because we want to be learning from each other's experiences just as you share your stories Exactly, exactly. And building um, a community of practice, 
where that's just a natural thing and that, you know, you've built a community of practice around you so that you are sharing that knowledge that you're developing. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm very encouraging to people to write. Um, and, you know, I started writing um, very, you know, writing about music therapy very late in my career. Um, I was very busy out there, you know, actually doing music therapy, but, but to actually, you know, to write it down for practitioners to be writing down, you know, um, and doing action research and, you know, just so that, yeah, we're not losing that, that knowledge that's, that's being developed every day, really across Sydney, across New South Wales, across Australia. Yeah. And so I think it'd be interesting to turn at this point to when you went through the training, um, there was a different sort of set of circumstances that you would have been going into. And um, I suppose in some ways it would be similar that um, you had to walk your own journey just as people now have to walk their own journey. But I'm sure there are some differences as well. Would you mind sort of talking about that? Yes, I trained a very long time ago. So I'm now, um, I'm in my 26th year, 26, 26th year of being a practicing music therapist. And, and across those 26 years, I've always been um, a practitioner in some shape or form. And um, I was in the first intake um, to go through University of Technology in Sydney, um, doing the postgraduate diploma of music therapy. So I came straight out of a music degree, a three-year Bachelor of Arts in Contemporary Music um, from University of New England, Northern Rivers. So I was located in Lismore for that and then came to Sydney and went straight into um, the Graduate Diploma of Music Therapy at UTS. When I went to audition um, for the course, um, so I just completed a Bachelor of Arts in Contemporary Music, majoring in voice. Um, so I went to audition and I wasn't asked to sing anything in the audition. I wasn't asked to sing at all. Uh, it was all about the piano. It was all about, you know, what um, what pieces could I play on the piano, um, the sight reading, piano sight reading I could do. Um, so nothing about voice. That's been a massive shift. And I think, you know, the literature, the books, um, you know, that have, that have come out from, um, you know, key music therapists within Australia as well, um, as well as, um, you know, vi vocal psychotherapy approaches. Um, you know, we've got lots, lots there to draw on with voice. And, you know, I think we're to a point now where, um, you know, voices are non-negotiable. And it's almost, if anything, it's like practice has aligned with you rather than the other way around. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a really interesting statement. And it kind of opens up a whole heap of things for me in terms of uh, my gut feeling in how to practice in those early years, you know, feeling like actually maybe I'm not doing it right and not maybe I'm not doing it right, but in those early years as a, as a graduate um, and, you know, I was very blessed to have really incredible jobs and experiences um, in those early years all through. Um, but, you know, to kind of be seeing that, you know, uh, seeing what I was doing was working, um, you know, the, the people I was musicking with, we were, you know, they were meeting goals, they were, they were moving forward, they were enjoying the process of coming to music therapy and being involved in music. But my, my kind of secret sense was, um, I'm not doing it right. You know, I'm, pro I'm probably not doing it right. This is, um, and it wasn't as easy then to get hold of ev the evidence base, you know, peer reviewed journal articles or any literature really that, 
aligned with, I mean, I think I owned every book you could on music therapy and it wasn't a very big it wasn't a very big collection, you know, and, um, and journal articles as well. So, um, you know, you couldn't just go to the evidence base and find something that kind of aligned a little bit with how you were working and go, oh, actually it's okay. I am doing it right. And, um, oh, here are some further things to challenge me in how I'm doing it, you know. So, um, yeah, interesting. A, a, another point. So with voice, but also I'm thinking about too with using visual supports within music therapy practice, because that's, um, that's what I'm doing uh, within my research with my PhD. And, um, when I first started at a school, an SSP in Sydney, I, I got a full-time job, um, one year after, um, uh, you know, graduating. And um, they gave me these visual supports to use in music therapy. So the um, the speech pathologist there, the special education teacher, you know, taught me a little bit about um, sign language and using visual supports. But I literally, I just rejected those visual supports. I just went, I've never seen a music therapist use visual supports in music therapy. I wasn't taught about this at uni. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And it was literally, I... I've got music, you know, <laughs> I've got music, nothing else needed, you know. And so, um, yeah, so it's been quite a journey to me getting to this point of actually studying the benefits of using of using visual supports within music therapy. But at the time, you know, when I did start using them, I didn't tell anyone. So when I was going to, um, like when I was going to conferences or whatever, you know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't say oh, I'm using visual support. So I kind of kept that because I wasn't sure I was doing it right. So kind of just coming back to this thing, but a pivotal moment for me was that uh, a conference in Melbourne, um, when there was a music therapist presenting and she actually opened up about this feeling of thinking or feeling you're not doing it right. And, um, I just visually remember her, you know, what a, what a pivotal moment that was for me that she was being so open and honest about this, you know, someone who's good enough to present at a conference, um, was saying these things and she demonstrated, like she literally, you know, both her arms out to the side and, you know, uh, moved her arms as if she was a bird flapping her wings and just kind of going, you know, I got to a point where I just had to fly. I just had to fly and do music therapy and do, you know, um, do what it was that, you know, felt right with, with the people that were coming to me. And it doesn't mean that we're not basing what we do in the evidence, but back then there just wasn't as much evidence that we could work with. Yeah, that's right. So I guess that comes to the, the idea of um, not just evidence-based practice, but practice-based evidence that you're having to go in there and as you're doing the work, you're doing your research simultaneously. And yeah, I could see that being disconcerting and you feel quite vulnerable, but amazing outcome in the end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm and I'm so pleased to see, you know, new graduates um, you know, having that confidence and having that confidence to present their work, um, share their work and actually, you know, I guess it's you, you know, uh we, everyone's not necessarily, you know, totally confident when they come out. <laughs> they have their concerns and everything, but um <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I think, I think we have come a long way in, in that space, um, and grown as a profession to what, you know, how we practice, um, you know, what approaches we're drawing on. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, as a profession, we really have come a long way. Yeah. 
what are some of the unique challenges that you think new graduates have um, who have just come through the course going into the industry the way it is now? I think the biggest thing we're still looking at is being able to advocate for the profession of music therapy. Um, so new graduates still have to be able to talk about, you know, answer quickly, what is music therapy? What is a music therapist? What do you do um, in a way that meets the, you know, the communication aims with the particular, the person asking the questions, uh, the, the setting you're in, you know, what language you're going to use that's appropriate to the setting. But just having that, um, you know, I wish we were further down the track with this. I wish that when, you know, new grads go into um, their first positions, their first jobs, that they didn't have to constantly explain what is music therapy. It seems like the, the people who do well amongst the, the people that I went through uni with my cohort and since are often the people who don't just have the therapy skills, but really know how to sell it. You were going to start talking about what it's like being in a pandemic and some of the challenges of being on telehealth. Yeah. So at the moment, uh, given that the global pandemic has arrived, um, yeah, it really does bring incredible challenges for music therapists and for training uh, music therapists, um, you know, in in doing online music therapy. And, um, you know, what uh, an, an interesting, I guess, back note or side note is that in 2019, in August 2019, um, my colleague Roxanne McLeod and myself, we published a paper in the Australian Journal of Music Therapy all about um, tele-intervention. Um, so we were doing online music therapy, uh, you know, from about 2016, 17, 18. We were doing online music therapy um, because the families that wanted to access um, our services, we're actually collaborating with an organisation that has families um, um, rem remote families spread out around New South Wales in remote areas. So we started doing online music therapy and we trialled a few different models of online music therapy. So we wrote that up and it was published in August uh, 2019. You know, that was pretty incredible timing, um, you know, in the in kind of the background information. We forgot to write, um, you know, another reason for online music therapy is in the event of a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> we weren't even thinking you know, that could be a reason for using online music therapy. But, um, and, you know, it was interesting at the time, you know, several colleagues, um, you know, contacted me and said, wow, you know, great paper. That's fantastic. It's not for me. You know, I can't, I can't see myself ever doing online music therapy. It's just, you know, it's not for me. And look, I'm not saying this in a smug way at all, because um, it's very sad, it's very sad, this situation we found ourselves in. But I think now that we've gone there, that we are learning how to do online music therapy um, in different formats or we're, we're, you know, thinking outside of the box in how to do um, music therapy with people that, you know, are in remote loca locations. Um, I think, you know, the cat's out of the bag. I don't think there's any going back. So, you know, I think there will be, you know, there will be a lot of um, return to face-to-face -face music therapy as soon as we can. But I also think there's going to be um, online music therapy from now on um, in different shapes and forms for different reasons. And so, yeah, in training music therapists at this time, it, it's just got a whole heap of challenges. And, you know, I joke with the students um, about, you know, this the biggest problem that music therapists have doing online music therapy being latency. 
So that delay, you know, and that difficulty that difficulty that, that you have in actually musicking um, in a meaningful way, you know, turn-taking or playing together, improvising, mirroring, um, you know, really musicking together. Um, and even if you're just doing an individual, let alone if you're doing a group session, you know, how could that possibly work with the latency issues? Um, but I joke with the students, I, you know, I put a quote up on the screen and say, you know, this this quote from Al et al, uh, 2021, Al et al, 2021 says, you know, in, in the future, we're going to look back and laugh about these issues of latency. Um, and that, uh, you know, that there's a lot of very clever people in the world and that we're all being plunged into this um, situation that this is going to be fixed. I, I strongly believe it's going to be fixed. And I was fortunate to be involved in a little trial um, of a program um, or of a, of a um, it's actually a little box, <laughs> this little box, um, little platform software um and so at three different locations, we had um, these little boxes, Aloha boxes, and we plugged them in and we were actually able to play music together using these little boxes. Obviously, that's not going to work for music therapy this time. You know, they were like $200 per box and we're not going to be able to post those around to, um, uh, you know, to our clients and, and really make that work. But I've got no doubt that it's coming, that the time will come and, and the latency issues will be solved. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll see how that all pans out. But, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, moving forward, we'll do a combination of face-to-face -face and online. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fairly inevitable too. And you've been doing some other work ongoing around this, haven't you, if you're happy to share um, about a model that you're developing for telehealth? Uh, yeah. So, look, within that, um, within that article, Roxanne and I actually developed this, um, developed this model called Compta. Um, you know, as a nod to, uh, you know, all previous people that put acronyms to their models. Um, Compta, which is the connected, connected music therapy tele-intervention approach. So Compta, connected music therapy tele-intervention approach. Much easier just to say Compta. Yeah, so Compta and really look, it's, it's a fairly simple uh, idea or model, but just where we're bringing together, you know, the we're listing a whole heap of considerations, technical considerations, um, programming considerations, different models, and just putting it all together as an approach, I guess. Um, because when I say the models, we did um, we did three different models. We did like a workshop model, and that was where all of the families were actually together, and the organisation they were all together on camp in a remote location. Um, and Roxanne and I were in Sydney. So we went to the, the hearing hub at Macquarie and we ran the um, music therapy program, you know, so it was a one-off workshop. So we called that the workshop model. We also did a weekly model where, you know, pretty much what people are doing now, where each week we would, um, you know, do a music therapy program with a group. Um, but then we also did what we called a mixed model. So Roxanne actually um, flew um, to the location um, of where the organisation was. So she flew from Sydney to there. She did week one with the families face-to-face -face and she left a music therapy kit there. 
And then she came back to Sydney and she did the other programs um, via tele-intervention. And then the last week, again, she flew um, to this location and and did the last week face-to-face and then brought the music therapy kit back. Um, So we, you know, we played with all of that and we just put all of these, you know, so it's not a hard and fast model of how to do online music therapy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a lot of considerations. Absolutely. So if you had endless time and resources, how would you like to, what would you like to be able to contribute to the organization, to to the discipline so that it's the best it can be into the future? What sort of changes would you like to see happen? I'm really proud of the profession and how it's progressing. Uh, and I'd really like to see us keep going, um, keep diversifying, um, keep thinking broadly and, um, you know, in a culturally sensitive way um, and just being open-minded to to new ways of doing things, new experiences and working with people in a way that, um, you know, helps them and is all about them. Mm, Yeah, wonderful. So I have a few little quick fire questions that we might finish the interview with. Do you have a go-to therapy song? Well, again, you know, in my 26th year, there are so many. <laughs> At the risk of sounding self-promotional, I would have to say a song written by my husband and myself called Howdy Do Blues. Um, you know, a greeting song. It's an opening song. It can be used with all different um, uh, age groups. Um, you can modify, extend, simplify, um, you know, improvisational attitude, do all sorts of things with it. And it's a greeting song that can go on for 15, 20 minutes if it, uh, you know, if that's what ha- if that's what happens in the session. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say that one. That's great. That's definitely one that I hear most days. It's um, It's a good one. What's one piece of advice you could give yourself as a student RMT if you could go back in time? I would have to say to, yes, use the evidence, read, use your training, and then do what you think is the right thing to do in the moment with that client as far as what music, uh, what the goals are, how you uh, how you progress. So depending on the needs of the client, just do what you do do and do what you do do well. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. What is the best thing about music therapy? Yeah. Uh, Music therapy. The best thing about music therapy is that we as music therapists have music as the tool. So yeah, we get to work with people across, you know, different uh, age groups and with different needs, um, different reasons for coming to music therapy. But we get to use music as the tool, like we're not searching around trying to find motivating, uh, you know, methods, motivating ideas or toys, or we've got music. So all those beautiful elements, the rhythm, the melody, timbre, harmony, texture, all of these wonderful things that, uh, that we get to use in music and with people. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Al, for agreeing to this interview and thank you for sharing all your experiences. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Baselines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit follow and leave a rating and a review. My single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us, the music therapists of today, to think clearly and carefully about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice.